Welcome to Revealed Truth, the audio outreach ministry of Moores Creek Baptist Church. I am Pastor Roger Barnes, and I invite you now to join me as we open the Bible, God's Revealed Truth. Turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Mark this morning. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one in the pew there in front of you, and I'd ask that you would turn to the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to be uh, there in the 14th chapter of that Gospel of Mark, which, by the way, is the oldest gospel as far as given to us that there was written. You, I know we often think when we look at the Bible that it's uh, Matthew first, then Mark, then Luke, then John. But believe it or not, Mark's gospel was given to us before we got the others. And so this morning we're going to look at the oldest gospel and we're going to take a look at what it has to say about women and apply that to our mothers this morning. So if you have found Mark chapter 14 and that third verse, I would ask that you would stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's word. And let's read some scripture this morning and dive in and see what God has to say to us about uh, the women in our presence this morning. So Mark chapter 14 verse 3 reads like this, And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, he sat at the table. A woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head, but... There were some who were indignant among themselves and said, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me... You do not have always. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Father, this morning, we have worshipped you with all of our heart and our singing and our fellowship and our time in Sunday school, how you blessed my heart with the children this morning, especially Kayla's prayer this morning, Father, for all of our mothers. And today as we think about our mothers, but we focus on you, let this scripture speak to our hearts in such a way that we either become better mothers or we come, become more appreciative of those mothers that you have given us. This morning, Father, I ask that you make very little of me And very much of you that you may be glorified in this place. This we pray in the name of your precious son, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. This morning, let's take a look at a lesson that lasts through all generations. A lesson that lasts through all generations. This story finds us at the home of this person called Simon the leper. Simon the leper. Simon has decided that he's going to have Jesus over for dinner. How would you like one day just to decide you're going to have Jesus over for dinner? I think about it when my wife invites people over to our house, the cleaning fury that happens the hours before you show up. Could you imagine the cleaning fury that would happen at the house if you knew Jesus was coming? I mean, you'd make sure you got in every nook and cranny and corner and underneath the furniture and you'd move all the knickknacks. You'd you'd get the place just set up perfectly because here comes Jesus for dinner. You know, Simon put together a stellar guest list for this actual event that he was having there at the house. You have to look at all the accounts and all three Gospels for it, but let me run through it for you real fast. Of course, since it was his house, there's Simon the leper, and he's obviously been cleansed of his leprosy. 
Or he'd be inviting no one to his house because they wouldn't be able to come. So here's this Simon. John 12 tells us there's this other character we're familiar with, and his name's Lazarus. If you know anything about Lazarus, you realize that he had a four-day nap in a place called heaven, and then Jesus called him back, if you remember. He stood there at his tomb and called him forth. John also tells us that if you have Lazarus for dinner, there's a couple of other folks that must be with him. Do you know who those are? Mary and Martha as two sisters. Everywhere Lazarus goes, his sisters go. All three accounts of the story in Matthew, Mark, and John tell us the disciples were there also. So there was this stellar group, and of course, the, the guest of honor at this event was Jesus himself. Jesus himself was there. The story is sandwiched between a couple of important things there in the Gospels as you look at those. And I hope you'll go home and look at those this afternoon. But the story sandwiched between the time previous to this, the Pharisees have decided that they've got to do something with this Jesus. This man's been going around healing people of leprosy, raising people from the dead, saying that he is God. And they've decided it's time that this comes to an end. So they're plotting to kill him. Well, the other side of this story happens to be when Jesus makes his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. So you see sandwiched right between this death plot and his triumphal entry is this dinner. This dinner is inserted right in there. It's just six days before Jesus crawls up on a cross and dies for our sins. It's just six days before he hangs there and dies. And you know all of Jerusalem is buzzing at the moment. Do you know why? Because this time is also the Passover time. Some hundred thousand people probably were gathered in this little town. All the rooms were full. All the houses had people packed in them. They were all preparing for this Passover. It was just a buzz with busyness in this entire city. And Simon decides at this time, this will be a great time to throw a party. This will be a great time to have dinner. And this story tells us how the simplest of acts can change not only a family, not only a community, but change the entire world. The simplest of things. Because there's this devotion that's shown by this woman. This woman at a dinner that goes on to change the entire course of history. And that's where we're going to look at a lesson that lasts through generations. What's the first thing that we see? What's the first point out of this lesson that lasts down through all generations? Well, the first thing I saw when I looked at this was the sacrifice of her worship. You'll notice she stands out a little bit there. If you'll notice in, in Mark 14, 3, it says, And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at a table, a woman came having an alabaster flask, a very costly oil of spikenard. Her name's not given there. If you look at the other accounts, you'll know who it is. But then he goes on to say, then she broke the flask and she poured it on his head. See, the reason that Simon had had this dinner anyway was to worship Jesus. It was to praise Jesus, to thank Jesus for all that he had done. And there were three gathered there in that house that day that wanted to worship Jesus for what he had done. There was three individual people that had a reason to worship Jesus there at that dinner. The very first, obviously, is the fellow who had the dinner. We, we see Simon the leper. 
Simon has spent most of his life as an outcast. If you know anything about lepers, they used to have to walk down the street and announce, leper, 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 so no one would get near them. They couldn't have any physical contact. They couldn't love on anyone. They were an outcast in a sea of people. They didn't have anyone close to him. He had not been able to have a close relationship with anyone because of his disease. He was very standoffish. People wouldn't approach him. No one would have anything to do with him. But apparently, somewhere along the way, he had met this man named Jesus. And you know Jesus. You know what Jesus did when someone had a need when someone felt they were outcast, when someone had something in their life that was separating them from others, and especially from God, what did Jesus do? He stepped in. And at some point in time, Simon had bumped into this man named Jesus. I can only imagine. He may have been walking down the street hollering, leper, leper, and everyone's out of his way, and he sees Jesus, and his cry goes from leper, leper, to Lord, Lord, Please, just heal me. Please, just heal me. And Jesus apparently at some point in time had done just that. Apparently, he had healed his body. The most amazing thing about Jesus' healing is not the fact that he heals and it scabs over and eventually heals itself up and goes away. If you read the accounts of Jesus' healing, it says whenever he touches someone and heals them, the words that are often used as their skin became like baby skin. He puts it back completely renewed. And this fellow, had, who had been an outcast, now had this skin that was completely renewed. And he had the ability to have fellowship and, and oneness with others. And, and because of the healing of his body, he had a reason to worship Jesus. You see, I wrote in a notice that he worshipped Jesus because of his, Jesus' compassion for his condition. He, he worshipped Jesus because of Jesus' love in healing him. He worshipped Jesus because of his restoration for a lonely life that he had been outcast from others. He had all the reason in the world to worship Jesus. Have you ever felt lonely? Have you ever been in a mass of people and felt all alone? You know, Jesus can heal that. Jesus can heal that problem in your body. And this, this Simon the leper knew that. This Simon the leper knew of a touch that restored not only health, but relationships. But you know, there was a second person that was hanging out in that house for dinner that day that had a reason to worship Jesus. That's this man named Lazarus. This man named Lazarus. Lazarus, it says, was a friend of Jesus. How would you like to know that when Jesus mentioned you, he says, that's my friend. You know, it, it says that for in John 11, 11, it says, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go and wake him up. See, Jesus himself looked at the others when he had been invited to come because Lazarus was sick. And he delayed. He delayed for a reason. And he looked at the others and says, Our friend, my buddy, my really good friend Lazarus, he's asleep. Come on, I'm going to go wake him up. Wouldn't you just love to know that Jesus loved you enough he wanted to wake you up? You see, and he has. He's woken every one of us up from death called sin. He said, there's my friend, and I'm going to wake him up. Just like us, Lazarus had a reason to worship Jesus. 
some of the things I wrote down. Number one, because he could worship Jesus because of his friendship with Jesus. He could also worship Jesus because of his raising him from the dead. (laughs) He could worship Jesus because he got a second chance at life. You know, that's exactly what Jesus does when he comes to us and says, Friend, arise from your death in sin. I'm going to give you another chance. So just like Lazarus, we too could worship Jesus. So we saw Simon the leper, he had a reason. Lazarus had a reason to worship Jesus. But then we see this Mary. (laughs) This Mary that slips in with this amazingly expensive bottle of perfume. See, this Mary is mentioned three times in the Bible. It's really neat to see the way she's mentioned these three particular times because all three times that she's mentioned, she's mentioned at one place. One place relative to Jesus. You know where that place is at? At his feet. She's mentioned at his, being at his feet every time that she's mentioned. And each time she's there at his feet for a very specific reason. Three times she's at his three feet for three very specific reasons. The first time we see Mary at his feet is actually over in Luke chapter 10. Flip with me over to Luke chapter 10 real fast and we'll take a glance at her at his feet. Luke chapter 10 and there in verse 38 it says this. Now it happened as they went that he, Jesus, entered a certain village And a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. You know the story. It says that she had a sister called Mary who also sat at the feet of Jesus and heard his word. Why was Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus? You know it caused quite a ruckus that day. For Martha was in the kitchen very busy making the biscuits, frying the chicken, cutting up the salad. She was doing all those things. If you remember, she came out and said, Jesus... Tell my sister to get up. I need some help in the kitchen. Remember what Jesus said? She's doing the right thing. Martha, why Why do you trouble yourself? Leave Mary alone. Mary's doing the right thing. She's sitting there at the feet of Jesus for a very particular reason. And the reason she's sitting there is because she wants to listen to this Jesus. See, while Martha was preparing the dinner, while she was taking care of the physical needs... Mary wanted to hear the very words that came out of the mouth of this man named Jesus. The word there that's translated heard or maybe listened in your Bible, that word, if you were to look at it in the Greek, means more than just the hearing of an audible sound. This morning, many of you are hearing my voice audibly, but few of you are listening. There is a world of difference. There's a world of difference between hearing and listening. What is the world of difference? The word of difference is is when you listen, as Mary listened, you understand what is being said and you take what is being said and you, in obedience, apply it. The reason that Mary was sitting there, it says in the Greek, is that she wanted to hear, understand, and go do that which Jesus was saying. She was sitting at his feet to hear and understand Mary was absolutely understanding what Jesus said. We see that in her life as we move forward. And it says that when you understand those things that Jesus says, you will obey those things. Well, the second time that we see Mary is over in John. 
John chapter 11 is another beautiful picture of Mary in her second time here with Jesus. John chapter uh, 11, down in verse 32, just one simple verse says this, Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You know the story. You know the story. This friend of Jesus had become sick. They had sent for Jesus said, come, come. Your friend Lazarus is, is sick and dying. Yet the word tells us Jesus tarried. He didn't strap his sandals on and grab his staff and break out down the road. He tarried for a few days. Mary was desiring for him to come and come quickly. And when she finally saw him as he was making his way some days later, she couldn't help but run out and fall down at his feet. Notice her words, Lord, if you had been here. The first thing out of her mouth was her profession of the fact that he was Lord. The second thing she said caused her faith to waver a little. When she said, if you had been here, I know, Jesus, you have the power. I know had you have been here, my brother would be alive today. He says, if you had been here, my brother would not have been dead. You can just hear the sorrow in her voice. The second time we see Mary at the feet of Jesus, it's not listening to understand, it's to pour out her heart in sorrow. Many times, many times I wanted to do what Mary did. For you see, Mary prostrated herself before Jesus in grief. Have you ever had something that hurt your heart so bad that you didn't know any other way to react than to just fall on your face before Jesus and say, if I've ever needed you, now's the time. You see, we see her also prostrating herself before Jesus out of humbleness because she realized that he was God. He was her Lord. And he was all-powerful in control of all things. For even though she knew her brother was dead, she also knew Jesus was here. You see, even in the most troubling times of our life, when Jesus shows up, things seem to get better, don't they? They just seem to get better. And after sitting at his feet, after hearing him speak and understanding, she knew that the answer to all of her problems stood before in this man named Jesus. So that's the second time that we see Mary. The third time that we see Mary is in John chapter 12, probably just a page over. Just a page over for you. It's in the story there that we were just reading. It says in verse 3 of chapter 12, Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. John gives us a few more details about this anointing of Jesus. Mark had said that he, she had broken open the bottle and anointed his head. John was looking from a different point of view and said he also, that she also anointed his feet. You see, we see Mary there right at his feet, worshiping him in. John gives us that detail because we needed to know that she anointed his head for one reason. It's because she honored him in the anointing of his head. She anointed his feet for a totally different reason, out of complete humility for who he was. It was the servant's job, the lowest servant, to take care of the feet of those guests at dinner. And she, out of humbleness, fell before her Lord 
and anointed his feet, used her very hair to wipe his feet. What an awesome picture. You see, her worship of Jesus was a costly, costly worship. Mark 14.3 says she had an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. See, we don't know much about these flasks and these things. Let me give you very quickly an idea of what she had. It mentions the flask for a very specific reason. The flask was just as important as the oil as far as the costliness of what she was doing in her worship. For you see, the flask was an alabaster flask, which means it was made out of marble and had been hand-created to hold something. More than likely, it had been imported. So she held this bottle that was somewhat fragile, and it had been hand-carved to hold something. The, the type of bottle shows the significance of the contents. And it says that she held this very expensive flask. In and of itself, it was expensive. But it also says that she broke the flask. The question that comes to my mind is, Mary, if it's so expensive, why wouldn't you just take the top off? Why wouldn't you just take the top off and pour it out? Why would you break it open? Well, there was a custom of the day. If we were to invite you over to the house and you were of grand significance and I gave you a glass to drink out of, you know what I would do when you were finished drinking? I would break the glass to show you honor. That I would never have anyone else drink out of your glass because you were the most important person that I knew. See, when she took this flask and broke it, she signified that the most important person that she had ever seen was in her presence, and there was never going to be a need for that bottle again. What an awesome picture of her worship. But it said that bottle held this oil of spikenard. Now, ladies, how many of you put on your oil of spikenard before you came this morning? Anyone Anyone go up and say, I don't think I'm going to use the oil of this uh, fruit tree. I think I'll use the oil of spikenard this morning. You know, it's not something we have very common today. And in fact, in Jerusalem, it wasn't very common. This oil of spikenard actually was imported from a place called India. It wasn't something they just went out in the backyard and made. It was something that had to pay a significant price for to get imported. So she had this special bottle with this special uh, oil of spikenard in it. Needless to say, it was extremely expensive oil in an extremely expensive flask. Most times, this oil was used for one purpose. It was to anoint the body of the dead. And it would be saved, this flask and oil would be saved until the most important person in your life died. And you would go to the grave after they were buried and you would anoint their body. You see the picture? You see the picture of what she's doing? She's approaching the greatest person she knows and destroying a container and pouring upon him the most expensive thing she owned in honor of this man, and she's doing it in humility. You see, her worship was not only costly, her worship was sacrificial. She could never repeat this process, for the bottle had been destroyed. The oil had been spilled out. But the reason Mary gave was the most important thing in the story, not what she gave. It was the reason she gave. She had heard Jesus say, while sitting at his feet, that he would die. She had heard Jesus say while sitting at his feet that three days later he would rise from the dead. She wanted to show her love to this man, Jesus, 
But she knew that after he was dead, there would not be a time for her to go to the grave and anoint his body. Why? Because she didn't just listen to the words he said, she believed the words he said. And when he said, I am going to die, yet three days later I'm going to rise from the grave, you know what she knew? If I'm ever going to have a chance to anoint this body, I'm going to have to do it while he's still breathing. Because when I go to the tomb to anoint his body, he's not going to be there. See, the most important thing about the story is the fact that, yes, it was costly in what she did, both in in money and in reputation, but it was some kind of sacrificial for her because she realized this man, Jesus, was going to rise from the dead. Why? Because she didn't just hear. She understood when he said it. So we see there then this worship This worship that is going on in this house, we see the sacrifice of our worship, yet suddenly in the picture comes something else. You see, because any act of kindness, any act of generosity, even in a church setting, has with it its critics, doesn't it? You see, (laughs) Mary so wanted to anoint Jesus' body that she didn't care. She didn't care what anyone else in the rooms thought. She didn't care what it was going to cost her. She so wanted to show honor to her Lord, she just didn't care. And this act of kindness carried one of the greatest sacrifices we'll ever make as a follower of Jesus Christ. And it's something called criticism. You see, the sacrifice cost her when she worshipped, and the sacrifice that she gave caused this criticism of her worship. So the second point we see here is the sarcasm of the worldly that are there present. In verse 4 of Mark 14, it says this, But there were some who were indignant among themselves, indignant, it says, among themselves, and said, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And it says that those that were there criticized her sharply. Matthew 26 gives us a little bit better picture of who it was that was doing the criticizing there. In the account in Matthew 26, it says, uh, but when the disciples saw it, they were indignant. Whoa, that puts a whole new spin on it now, doesn't it? When the disciples saw it, they were indignant. John, in in chapter 12, verses 4 and 5, even goes on to say, But one of the disciples names him, says Judas Iscariot, says he's Simon's son, who would betray him. He makes really sure when he wrote it, you'd know who it was. John's account says, But one disciple, Judas Iscariot, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Why is it when someone gives to worship God that the others in the church think that it's better it be used for something else? Why? Why would a person out of sacrifice gives, does things, decides there's some cause or something that needs to be taken care of, something that needs to be done? Why is it when someone's led in the heart, in the church, to do something for the honor and glory of God that the other members of the church have nothing but sarcasm to say about it? Breaks my heart. It breaks my heart to think 
that God would lead someone to worship Him through their giving or their ideas or something that needs to be done at the church or some group that needs to be helped. And the response of the disciples is sarcasm, indignation. You know what happens in our church every day, not Morse Creek in particular. This isn't casting stones at Morse Creek. This is uplifting mothers. We'll get there, I promise. But why is it that this worship sometimes comes with such sarcasm and criticism from those who are gathered? You see, if it's so important, if it's so important that you don't like the idea that's being done, you think it should be used for something else, why haven't you done the something else? See, my point is, when you come to me as a pastor, I don't know why we spent the money on that. We should have done this. I'm going to look at you and go, why haven't you? Don't give me the answer with a church, because I'm going to stop you right there and say, if God put it on your heart, you should lead the way. Just like Judas decided he would lead the way when they said, this should have been used for the poor. See, if the poor were so important to the disciples, why had they not already collected everything they could, sold it, and taken care of the poor? If, if they were so important, why haven't they already done that? See, we oftentimes want to criticize what's being done, but we're not already participating in the thing that we think should be done. You see, there's sarcasm revealed two things about them that I think our sarcasm reveals about us. The very first thing was their lack of understanding of the importance to put worship first in their lives. The importance to put worship first. Instead of their thought process being on the spiritual side, their relationship to Jesus, it was on the physical. Was there anything wrong with looking after the poor, by the way? No. Because if it was, you'd have to take verses like I wrote down. Proverbs nineteen seventeen: Who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord. You'd have to tear it out of your Bible. If you're not supposed to look after the poor. Proverbs seventeen five says, He who mocks the poor reproaches the maker. He says, if you mock the poor, you reproach the maker. In Matthew 25, Jesus gives us the mark of what a true believer is when he says this about us. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was in prison and you came to me. Jesus himself admonishes us to look after the poor. So the fact that they wanted to look after the poor is not the problem. It brought to light the problem. See, because Jesus said there's something more expedient. There's something more expedient than caring for the poor. That something that's more expedient is the worship of God. See, without the worship of God, the caring for the poor never helps. You see, in Mark 14, 6 and 7, Jesus said this. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. Notice he didn't say a good work to me. Even though she had anointed his body, anointed him, the work wasn't done to him. The work was done for him. It goes on to say, for you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me? You do not have always. This revealed something else about them also. Not only was there a lack of understanding about the importance to put worship first, there was a lack of understanding about what God was doing. In their mind, Jesus was there to take care of the poor. 
They were sitting in a house with Simon the leper he had healed. They were sitting in a house with Lazarus, been raised from the dead. They had probably just a few days earlier seen him walk past someone on the street that was blind and healed their eyes. They had no doubt remembered the feeding of 5,000. They, in their heart and mind, had no idea what God was up to. You know, if we're not careful in the church, we get into the exact same rut. We try to find the things that we can do, and we forget that God's already doing things. We don't need to invent things to do. We need to find out where God's working and go help Him. We need to fall in line with where God's already working. See, Jesus had told them that He would not be there forever. He had repeatedly told them that He would die. He had told them that he was going to leave them. He had told them that his time on earth was drawing to a close. He had already pointed to this time that was about to happen six days later. Yet instead of focusing on him, they focused on themselves. They they want to know what they could do to impact the world. They want to know what they could do to change the poverty level in the community. They want to know what they could do to help those around him. But they failed to see where God was at work. And where was God at work? He was not just at work feeding the poor. For he was six days from seeking and saving the lost. See, Jesus' purpose wasn't come to make sure we've got food on the table or clothes in our body or a house over our head. Jesus came and hung on the cross for one reason. So that you don't have to experience a place called hell that you may be forgiven of all of your sins and put back in right relationship with God just as the leper was restored to relationship with those around him. Did he help the poor? Absolutely. But not at the sacrifice of saving the lost. And see, they didn't understand, and their their sarcasm showed it, they didn't understand that God was at work. But wasn't their request valid? Just as a side note, since I'm going to be late anyhow. (laughs) Their request was a valid request. Think about it. It tells us in Mark chapter 6, I believe it is, about the feeding of the 5,000. Do you remember when they came to him and said, Look, there is 5,000 men here with us, women and children not even counted, that are getting really hungry and it's kind of late. Do you remember what the disciples told him? Maybe we should send them home so they could eat. Do you remember Jesus' response to them? You feed them. You feed them. And what did they say? If we had 200 denarii, we could barely get enough food to feed the 5,000. Add their wives, another five, a couple of children apiece. You've added another 10,000. They're saying 200 denarii? It would take 200 denarii to feed 20,000 people. How much was the flask and oil worth? 300 denarii. Do the math. If 200 would feed 20,000, how many could you feed for 300 denarii? Their request was pretty valid. They could impact an entire nation at that time with the money. Yet sometimes we find the greatest lies in the church are wrapped around some of the prettiest truth you've ever seen in your life. It's kind of like Adrian Rogers said one time, flat as a pancake that only has one side. There's always two sides to the story. No matter how good the cause looks, if it's not what God is doing, the cause is no good. And they were 
in their mind, they were thinking, we could change our world with that money. Of course, you notice Judas led off the discussion. What was Judas thinking? You put that 300 in the money sack, you boys are never going to see it. Because what was Judas already doing? Sticking his hand in the cookie jar. Sometimes the greatest of lies are wrapped around the most beautiful truths you've ever seen. So we've seen her sacrifice of worship. We've seen the sarcasm of the world, and now he shows us the last thing, and that's the steadfastness of her witness. The steadfastness of her witness. In Mark 14, 8 and 9, he says this about her. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Notice the steadfastness of her witness. First we see she has done what she could. I don't know how often... I hear more often than I care to mention when asking, could you help us do this? So I'm not able to do that. Could you, could you teach in Bible school? I, I'm not much of a teacher. Could, could you sing in the choir? I'm not much of a singer. Notice she did what she could. Yes, you may not be able to sing in the choir. And I've heard some of you sing. I've stood right next to you and I agree with you wholeheartedly. You cannot sing in the choir. Some of you may not have a heart to teach, may not have the ability to teach, but you do know what I do know? Each one of you has been touched by a gracious God and given a gift or talent that can be used, has to be used, must be used for His glory alone. What did she do? She did what she could. My question to you, mothers and the rest of you listening, are you doing what you can See, what is it that she has done? What is it that she can do? And this is what each of you can and should do. She's done a good work for Jesus. For Jesus. Everything you do shouldn't be for the church, shouldn't be for your neighbor, shouldn't be for your employer. It should be for Jesus. The way you drive, and I've seen some of you drive, you're not honoring Jesus. Glad my wife's in the nursery. She'd be saying that about me right now sometimes. The, the way you address a person in line at the store when they're taking their time. When you're standing in line on Wednesdays at the store up the street, you're trying to get a drink and six people ahead of you are buying lottery numbers. How you address them <laughs> needs to be for Jesus. How you work when you're asked to work needs to be for Jesus. See, it says she did what she could do. And what did she do? A good work for Jesus. She has worshipped him through reckless extravagance. Of course, she's given the best that she had. She's worshipped him through reckless abandonment. She has not cared what the others would think. She hasn't cared what the others were doing. She knew what she could do and what her heart said she should do. She's also worshipped him with complete devotion. Complete devotion. Knowing that she's ever forever been changed by him. So we see first that she's done what she could. And second, very quickly, we see God has done what only God can do. You know what I find? When you use the smallest of gifts and talents, God comes in it. And it becomes the greatest of things. You see, we serve an awesome God. 
We serve a mighty God that is capable of doing all things. And he says there in verse 9, Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, where is the gospel of Jesus Christ preached today? Everywhere. The best-selling book in all of creation and all the world you hold in your hand this morning. The book that's translated in the most languages you hold in your hand this morning. This book has gone around the world to all people. And he says anywhere that this gospel is preached in the whole world, he says, he goes on to say what this woman has done will be told. He has done a mighty work in her She shows that through her worship of Jesus, and now her obedience is spread everywhere. Her obedience is proclaimed everywhere. God never fails to be faithful to those who are obedient to Him. Never. And third, we see just that. Her obedience made a difference. See, it affects the house that you live in. The first thing I noticed about her is... Her obedience has affected the house she lived in. Why? Because it says when she broke open the bottle and she poured it out, what happened with the aroma from that oil of spikenard? It filled the house. There was not a person sitting in that room that could not smell that fragrance. There was not a person in that room that did not understand what she just did. That she was anointing Jesus. There was not a person in that room that did not understand she was worshiping God with all that she had, with all that she was. Moms, you know every person in your house is affected by your obedience to God. A godly mother has changed the heart of a many wayward son and daughter. But the second thing it affects is the community. For if you look over the account in in John 12, 9 and 10, it says, A great many of the Jews knew that he was there and they came. It said they came because they wanted to kill him and likewise Lazarus because Lazarus had a story. But it says they came. And if you think that perfume filled the room, what do you think happened on those glassless windows of that house? As they approached the house with death on their hearts, they could smell the aroma of anointing a person who has anointed the most important person in their life. And even though they came with an entirely different intent, their hearts were moved. Had to be. Moms, your simple act of obedience within your home changes your home, but your simple act of obedience to God, your witness to God, affects your entire community. It affects everything around you. And lastly, we see that her act of obedience affected the entire world because it says wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world. See, you're today a witness of the truth of that statement. Because some 2,000 years after Jesus uttered those words, you're hearing the story of a faithful, obedient woman. Today, you're a witness. You're proclaiming the truth of God's word by hearing the story. Because that's what he said. He said, the whole world would hear this story when the gospel is preached. See, 2,000 years ago, Jesus 
told the story of the woman, and today you're witnessing her obedience. Today, 2,000 years later, you're being challenged by her faithfulness. See, moms never think that what you're doing is not making a difference. Never think that those small things that you do in act of obedience to God and worshiping God don't make a difference. You never know when God is going to use your obedience to affect your family, to affect your community, and ultimately affect the entire world. You never know when there's going to be a young man or a young woman in your house that's going to see your denial of self and your worship of a holy God, your obedience to do that which God has called you to do. And one day down the road, it's going to decide that this Jesus is worth the dedication of his or her life. And it's going to stand in a pulpit like this and proclaim the gospel every day. The reason... I love to stand and proclaim the gospel to you is because I saw a mom and dad live that gospel. They were obedient to the call. I told people when I was a kid I had a drug problem, a bad drug problem. Every time the doors of the church were open, I was drugged there. And I thank God now that I was. I thank God that baseball didn't take over Wednesday night for me. Going out to the beach didn't take away my Sundays in church. When the RAs had something, the RAs came first. The other activity came second. Did I like it at the time? Absolutely not. Were mom and dad my favorite people? Absolutely not. But you know what? They were my parents, not just my buddies. They knew what was best for me. The best thing for me was for me to come to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and be obedient to Him. Look at the difference that's made in my life. A simple country boy with no education that loves Jesus with all of his heart and desires for you to do the same. It's because of the obedience, obedience of a mother. Never think that your obedience doesn't affect your family, your community, and the world. Maybe today you want to come and worship him. You want to come and worship him for all that he's done. You want to come and Worship Him because He's been faithful to you. Maybe you want to come and worship Him because He's given you the opportunity in a family today to make a difference. Today, I pray that God works in your heart in such a way He shows you the area He would have you be obedient and that your obedience would affect both your family, your community, and all the world. Thank you for joining us here at Revealed Truth. I would like to personally invite you to visit with us at Morris Creek Baptist Church. We're located at 3107 Union Chapel Road in Curry, North Carolina. Our Sunday school starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings and is followed at 11 o'clock with our Sunday morning worship service. We also have a time of prayer and Bible study on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. We look forward to seeing you soon.